This morning as we get into the Word and we get into the message, let me just encourage you all. Uh, I, I want to let you know that I am impartial when it comes to the sexes. That if I'm going to do a Mother's Day Hallmark Moment sermon, I'm going to do a Father's Day Hallmark Moment. You all know that I'm not down with these Hallmark um, uh, strangleholds on our life. And, uh, and yet, I've given in. I've caved. Um, and so I have to do due diligence and, and do both. And uh, it's so great. I couldn't, I couldn't resist. It's great to see you, brother. Um, let me just take a moment. This is not on script. We have our, our children's church age in with us for uh, just a little bit this summer as we are uh, working towards, you know, the fluctuations of vacation so that we have enough people. First of all, next time it's going to be 105 on a Sunday. Great technique for evangelism. Tell your friends you know a place that's only 72 degrees for free. They don't have to spend any money and you just bring them to church, okay? That'll be phenomenal. But here's what I would love to do. I would love to... Um, if you're a kid in here, I want you to think of one of the coolest things that you remember about your dad. One of the coolest things you remember about your dad. Alright? So, just think about it. And when you've got it, raise your hand. Coolest thing about your dad. Okay, I see four kids in here. Alright? Just raise your hand. Coolest thing about your dad. Alright? Anybody. Anybody under the age of 14, over the age of 7. Coolest thing. You know, your dad's sitting next to you, so the pressure is on you. Yes, Lauren. You know, Lauren, it's the small things that matter. I never would have known that Rich cut his goatee. Because it looks, it, you're right, it looks great. It looks great. Now, when your dad snuggles with you, does it, does it like leave a rash all over your face and stuff? Is that why you're glad? Yeah, yeah. Me too. I love it when Janine trims her goatee. She's <laughs> Good thing we got a new couch last night. All right. Anybody? Anybody? Anybody else? I got to Oh, yes. His beard. We're going with a theme today. That's the thing you like the most about your dad is his beard? Yes. Dad, you're a hipster, you're a musician, you can't lose that facial hair. You know, you know here's, the, here's the other thing, is that it's just, it's like it's snowing year-round, right? At least that's what my kids tell me, so, so thank you. Anybody else? We got two others. I'll give you three seconds, two, one. All right, then here's what you got to do. You got to let your dad know a little bit later what it is that... Uh, that you're excited about, and that's something I challenge all of us to do. Um, get in touch with your fathers today and, and let them know what lasting impression, what legacy did they leave with you. So this morning I'm going to encourage you to turn to John. It's always fun when you're on a topical message because you really got to just figure out, okay, Holy Spirit, where is it you want me to go in the Scripture? <laughs> 
what are we going to do with this? And so I really tried to take the schematic from the Mother's Day, and we're going to look at three different aspects of, um, of fathers today. And so in looking at that, let's pray, and we'll ask the Lord to guide our time. Father, this morning we have sung that you are a good, good father. We know this about you. We praise you in all of this. We hold tightly to it. Lord, this morning, as we examine this idea of honor and fathers, we praise you that we have that relationship right in front of us of you and the Son. As a perfect example, as a perfect typology of what it is that we should aspire to. Lift us up. And I pray, Father, that for those in the room that that um, are, are not fathers, that this would not be something that they would tune out on, but that there are aspects of what we're looking at that can speak to every heart in here and can encourage every heart that's in here. So reach beyond just the topic and speak to the needs of the people and their hearts. To you be all glory, Father. Amen. Well, this morning we're talking about honorable fathers. And we're going to break it down into three specifics. Jesus and his father, Jonathan and Saul, Elijah and Elisha. It sounds like uh, Jeopardy, right? All right, I'll take Elijah and Elisha for the daily double. Now, you may look at that and say, well, Elijah and Elisha, there's no father relationship. That's why we tease it at the end, okay? So the reality of what we're looking at is sometimes you end up with the challenge of a Father's Day gift. One of my children, and I'm not going to name them because I'm going broke giving them $5, called me at 11 o'clock last night and they're out shopping for me at 11 (laughs) o'clock. Now, they knew exactly what Dad likes. They went to to Non and Curry and they said, Dad, how about I get you some, what would you like from Non and Curry? And I'm like, I'm not allowed to eat past 6.30. I'm so sorry, I can't do it. And so it's like, what am I going to get you? Everything's in there. Like, you don't have, just your love. Your love is more than enough, right? And so there's always that challenge of what to get dads. I saw something come across the internet today that's absolutely perfect. It is the quintessence of everything a man needs in his pragmatic life outside of the Bible and the Holy Spirit. So I'm just going to pass this on to you. If you're looking for that gift for dad, Here we go. Maybe it's a new clicker. (laughs) I am completely locked out. All right. The ultimate Father's Day present. And here it is. (laughs) That's so wrong on so many levels. It truly is. You could never show something like that on Mother's Day. And usually I would never show something like that in a church service. But it is Father's Day. And um, those are three things that guys feel strongly about. So if you're struggling, think about that. An honorable father, uh, a few weeks ago, I found out that our our incredible Malachi uh, had his championship football game. And so I thought I would go out and, and see this young man, and he was tremendous. But something more important stood out to me. And that was his dad, Sony. 
was coaching the team. And it was hot out. And yet his dad was there. And you see one picture where he's leading an entire group of boys. Right? And that's being an honorable person. That's being that light to the world. That's filling a gap where a gap needs filling. So I thought I would take a picture of that, but then you can see the picture of a dad getting eye level with his son and just encouraging. And even more so, the story gets better because grandpa was there and grandpa's back was completely out and he was at his his grandson's football game and he wasn't going to miss that no matter what. Malachi, you remember that football game? You did really good, buddy. You did really good. We've got one other that I want to show you at the end, but let's get into it this morning. I love this quote by Calvin Coolidge. It says, No person was ever honored for what he received. Honor has been the reward for what he gave. And this fits so perfectly with our spiritual father, does it not? Fits so perfectly because our father loved us so much that he what? He gave his son that we might have eternal life. This is why we say he's a good, good father. This is why we honor him. And when we honor him, let's do so with the remembrance that he gave everything. As we think about our earthly fathers, when we think about how they've given us so much, and hopefully you were blessed with that, that relationship. If not, I just encourage you, you have every opportunity to be blessed with that relationship spiritually with God the Father today. Amen? This morning, I want to move through three things. Jesus and His Father is the first one. Turn with me to John 5. You've heard these words Now this is an area of the Gospels where Jesus was being taken to task uh, by the Jews. Uh, They were already seeking to kill Him. And we pick it up in verse 18. It says this, This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Him. Because not only was He breaking the Sabbath, but He was even calling God His own what? His own Father making Himself equal with God. Continue on. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. Look at the beauty of that relationship. And this is going to feed into the relationship between Saul and Jonathan as well. That there is an understanding, there is a linkage that happens between a father and a son if there is the proper relationship, if there is a relationship that is hallmarked by honor. And sometimes that can get complicated. But with Christ, there was a specific understanding, so much so that as He spoke, He didn't speak about God in terms of Elohim, He didn't speak about God in terms of Jehovah. He spoke about Him in a familial, in a relational mindset. Something separate. Something different. Something saying, I am equal 
with God. I am equal with God. And this caused quite the stir. This is unique. Because often when we think about God, we think about the, the Trinity. We think about the Father. We think about the Son. We think about the Holy Spirit. Now we relate to those three, three things because that's how in the New Testament we see those three distinct parts of God. Or the Godhead. But I would tell you, in a certain sense of their self-evident uh, uh, attributes, it's not so much relational in that father-son understanding as their self-evident existence with one another and intentionality and purposefulness as it is just who they are as God and their purposefulness in working out God's will. But something transpired, something was different when we got to the ministry of Jesus. When the incarnation happened, He comes as a what? He comes as a baby. We can relate to Him in that sense of His humanness and His humanity. And so what happens is God sets up a construct here for whatever reason where suddenly what's introduced in this relationship is a father-son relationship. Prior to this, the Hebrew nation always thought of God in these titles. Adonai, Elohim, Jehovah. They never thought of Him. There's, there are times, but, but for the most part, that's what was happening. Here in the New Testament, Jesus keeps speaking to Him as Father. As a matter of fact, as He asks us to pray, He says, pray this way, our Father. He desires that you relate to God the Father in the way that He relates to God the Father. There's something uh, mystical about that and mysterious about that. There's something deeper here for us to understand about this relationship of Father and Son. And I think as we look at this, we become a a, uh, prototype of that relationship that God has established. There's something holy, there's something significant about the family relationship that God has instituted. And when we mess with that, when we confuse that, when we blur the lines, when we no longer function the way that we see that heavenly example function, things deteriorate. Things break down. So let's continue and and examine this relationship that Jesus has with His Father. It says this, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. There's a key component here. Now when I think about the Trinity in its power, in its scope, in its, um, in its intentionality, I don't think necessarily in terms of relational love for one another. I see them as all one. Amen? So how do you breach into that concept of this being like this, that you separate out and and there's love that happens? I would propose this. This is not from the Lord. This is from your pastor. It is an example for us so that we get it right. So that we see, we get a peek. We get a quick snapshot into what God has instituted, and He says, this is how a relationship works. There has to be love. There has to be love. And not only love, but it says what? For the Father and the, son, <clears throat> the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. Yesterday I had to fix this couch that my wife bought for $25 off of Craigslist. I was really excited about it. 
And um, I'm thinking, okay, Father's Day weekend. And I go to my son and I say, oh, now I owe him $5. Okay. I go to my son and I say, hey, um, later this afternoon, I want your help with doing this. I didn't need his help. Actually, I needed a lot of help. Actually, she finished the job. I failed. I'll just be honest. But uh, my son, I, I have not come out and I'm like, okay, so this is my idea. This is what I want to do. Let me show you this. What do you think? Right now, I could have just gone out there and done it by myself, but he got some really good laughs along with me and I almost screwed a screw through his finger and we had a great time. Now, part of that is I could have just gone and done the project on my own, but I never would have had that time with him. Not only that, give him opportunity to help make the design work and him feel invested in it. He actually left the garage quicker than I did. He gave up on the project faster than I did um, because I was running the project. But um, there's something about that idea as fathers that we need to what? We need to show him all that he himself is doing. As fathers, we need to make sure that we're not holding back, but we are training, we are revealing, we are helping include our children in all that is going on. Just a side question. How many of you, you ever, your parents sat you down and taught how to do a checkbook and budget? Any of you? How many of you, they never did that? All right. How many of you were told to make your bed and clean your room? How many of you were shown how to make your bed and clean your room? So we're good at making our beds because we were trained well, but when it came to finances, somehow that whole thing got dropped. Okay, interesting. Think about how that translates spiritually. Where would we be? How would we know how to walk in righteousness if it wasn't for God revealing that through His Son? Giving us those examples through His Son. And so let's continue on. It says this, For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. What a beautiful thing that the father could have accomplished all that he desired on his own. But he includes his son. He hands part of the, the scope of all that he's doing in the redemption of mankind over and, and includes the son. As a matter of fact, the son is pivotal in the redemption of mankind, and it's done so that what? Have you ever wondered why God made that plan? Why He made it uh, and, and designed it the way He did with Jesus coming the way that He came, uh, growing to fruition, growing in wisdom and stature, doing His ministry, calling His disciples, going and, and, and preaching the gospel, changing the kingdom, bringing a better covenant, Suffering the Passion Week, going to the cross, and raising from the dead. Did you ever wonder why do it that way? I think we just heard the answer. So that we might marvel. That we might marvel. Did you ever marvel at something your dad did? I won't sell out this person right now, but there's an individual that's sitting here today that even for his grandchildren, his grandchildren marvel at the sacrifices he makes for them. This man walks on streets of gold 
in his grandchildren's eyes. Why? Because he includes them. He's invested in them. And they marvel at who this man is. This man can do no wrong. This is how we should look at our Heavenly Father. But this also shows us that appropriateness of what it means to be an honorable father. Right? Then it finishes out. It says, In greater works than these will He show Him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. You know, there's a replication there's a replication that happens. And usually what we hear today is, oh my goodness, I sound like my dad. Oh, right? Oh my goodness, I'm just like how my dad did that. Why don't we hear, oh, I did that like my dad. Maybe this is what we should strive for. Maybe it's that that is honorable. Let me give you three key factors this morning. You see, under John 5, we see the perfect picture of a father. We see the perfect picture of a father. The father that fosters the identity of an honorable partnership. The father fostered an honorable partnership with the son. This is something that we can do as fathers. And it will leave a legacy. The Father sets an honorable tone that the Son reflects. The fruit doesn't fall too far from the... Oh, I had bush, but you got tree. Okay, that's fine. The Father sets an honorable tone that the Son reflects. Fascinating. Fascinating. Thirdly, the Father turns over authority to the Son. That's one of the most beautiful moments. And we see this, that He says, just as the Father has raised those from the dead and gives them life, so the Son gives life to whom He will. Who is it that will judge the dead? It's not the Father, it is the Son. He's been given that authority. Who is it that was actually listed in Colossians 1 as the Creator and Sustainer of life? The Son. We, uh, for years, for decades, I always thought, okay, the Father, you know, God created that, because that's what it says. God created the heavens and the earth. And in some ways, the Trinity is involved in all of that. But Colossians is very specific that there is a partnership with the Son in the creation, and not just that, the sustaining of creation. What are we doing with our sons and daughters? Are we partnering with them? One of the, one of the most wonderful memories I have is with my daughters doing a lemonade stand right out here on the boulevard. And we were heading off for a summer vacation and we thought, let's see if we can really make some money. And so we went out there and we set up our lemonade stand and actually it's a pretty good idea because you get a lot of good traffic there, and if you got two little cute girls, um, and, and so they, they stop, and then we had this just free lemonade, right? Because I taught my girls how to really market. So it's free lemonade, it's on a hot, hot day like today, but then we have a jar that says, donations for Disneyland trip. <laughs> See, I taught them, I taught them well. We partnered on that, 
And I think we walked away. Somebody wrote a $50 check. Right? And then that turned into Dad's lunch fund. No, it didn't. It didn't. We went to Disneyland. It was a great time. But there are those things that we can partner with our, our children on and teach them. And one of the best things that we can do that in, fathers, is sitting down with our children and praying with them. And praying with them. And looking into the Word of God with them. Talking about spiritual things with them. Partnering with them. Gentry uh, spoke um, many times, five dollars. I'm going broke. Gentry spoke, uh, uh, she was uh, elected to lead um, uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes at Clayton Valley this past year. And so she had many Fridays where she would speak. And for the first four months, I was not allowed to show up. And, uh, but I remember the day that she partnered with me, and she allowed me to go and listen. And it was so precious to me because she was excited for me to be there. She made me swear up and down I would be absolutely quiet and not say a word, but, but she was proud, and I was so proud of her. And there was a partnership with that. Just one of the most important things that we see from the Father that we can integrate into our own relationship with our children. So that's a picture uh, that's perfect of a father, an honorable father. Let's look at this relationship, Jonathan and Saul. Not so perfect. Turn to 1 Samuel. And so what happens when the wheels come off? Because that's a reality, right? It doesn't always go well. And this is one of those stories out of the Old Testament that reflects this. Jonathan was good friends with David. Jonathan was one of three sons of Saul. Saul had already been rejected because of his sin and because of his pride. And David had already been anointed by Samuel to eventually take over for Saul. Things were brewing Saul has a son named Jonathan, and Jonathan and David become fast friends. And it became apparent that Saul wanted to kill David. And Jonathan actually advocates on behalf of David at a banquet, knowing how angry his father was, but knowing how wrong his father was. So what do you do when you have a pessimistic picture of a father? How do you deal with that? How, how do you live with that? And so let's look real quickly and see what happens here. Verses 30 through 33. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And let me give you some background because Jonathan was advocating for David and had kind of hidden David against Saul's desires. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan and he said to him, You are a son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Typical guy right? It's, it's on, this is on him. And what's he do? He blames, blames the wife. You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? Now, he's basically calling a curse down on Jonathan. And what is he really saying, right? What is the, the statement behind the statement? You chose David over me. And that cuts a father to the heart. But why did he do it? Because the father was a train wreck. And this is a reality that happens for us. This is something that truly transpires. It happens here in Scripture. 
And so now what does the father do? Does he own his sin? Because Jonathan challenges him. He says, do not commit this sin. Do not lay sin upon David's character because of your own sin. Ouch. It's not looking good for this relationship. It's very pessimistic, right? Not a very honorable father. So you would think Jonathan would bail on him because that's what we would do in this society. He doesn't deserve my what? My loyalty, my devotion, my love, my time, my effort. He's not an honorable man. He's not respectable. Not only that, he's trying to kill my friend. And his sin is an embarrassment to our entire nation. And I have to live with this. So Jonathan is advocating, and look at what happens. For as long as the, verse 31, for as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, that's David, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? Okay, so there you have that challenge between father and son, right? And you can almost hear it coming. You can almost hear, don't you backtalk me. Here's the interesting thing. Saul basically does this coming up, but he doesn't even warn him. He doesn't even warn him. This is how bad, how pessimistic this relationship is as a father. So Jonathan challenges him, which is appropriate. And here's what happens. But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. He doesn't even say, how dare you speak to me that way. He picks up a spear and throws it at his own son. The reality for us today, brothers and sisters, is this. This happens in households all around us because of sin. Because somewhere the father lost track of the heavenly father somewhere righteousness stopped becoming a discipline somewhere self-pride and and self-judication became the more important aspect just like it did with saul and it poisoned him so much so that he sought to kill his own son but paul hurled his spear at him to strike him so jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. Well, you worry about yourself as well there, Jonathan. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. Isn't it fascinating? He's not heartbroken about his own father hucking a spear at him. He doesn't eat for days. And he's grieved and he's angry for days because his father is seeking to kill his friend. That shows how bad this relationship has gotten, that he doesn't even care about the curse and the rejection by his own father. The reality, my brothers and sisters, is, is there are pessimistic pictures of fathers out there. And we have a perfect example here. So what do we do with that? Well, we deal with the reality of it. Number one, the father protects his own interest. Do not be a father that's all about your own interest. Because that is, the, that is the beginning of the landslide. Secondly, the father is lacking in honor and the son is burdened because of it. 
if we as men do not concern ourselves with replicating, duplicating the honor of who our Heavenly Father is, then we are a disaster eventually. And because of that, you see what happens with Saul. It happens all around us. Because we lose our sight. We get our eyes off of the good Father, and we get our eyes on ourselves, and we become disconnected to all things that lead us into patterns of righteousness and being honorable men. Saul is your example of that. Do not be Saul. Thirdly, the Father demands authority over the Son. You see the stark contrast between the Father and His Son, Jesus and Jehovah, right? That the, the, the Father with, with God the Father and Jesus is that He gives Him authority. Saul here is demanding his own authority over Jonathan, over David, to the point of asking Jonathan to do something incredibly sinful against the law. What happens as an end result? This is the reality of what we face. And I, you know me, if you've been around long enough, let's not, let's not just play Candyland. Sometimes we have to look at the realities of what we deal with. And all of those realities can be found in Scripture. The reality here under point two is that there are pessimistic pictures of fathers. Jonathan stayed true to his family. He stayed devoted even though his father didn't deserve it, even though his father wasn't honorable. He held his own honor and it cost him his life. And the end of this story is is that in, in Saul's pursuance of killing David and he was so obsessed with it that he goes to battle with the Philistines where David was hiding out and they lose the battle. And not only is Saul killed, but Jonathan and his two other brothers are killed. And some of us have gone to Israel, and, and we're talking about next year going. And um, we've been to a place called Bet Shan. And when you go there, it's magnificent. It's just this incredible Roman city. But then there's this giant tell. It's a hill. And at the top of that hill is a small little community. And they have one tree hanging up there. It had nothing to do with this story, but the end of this story in the next chapter is, is that they, they cut off Saul's head, run it around the nations, declaring victory, and then they take not only Saul's body, but his son's bodies and strap them to the walls at Bethshan to humiliate the entire family. That is what's at stake. Fathers, if we do not consider the need to be a perfect picture of an honorable father, we can very closely do a landslide into a pessimistic picture. And it will affect our children. It will affect our children. So where do we end with this? Well, we've got a perfect picture. We've got a pessimistic picture. I don't know why I do these alliterations. They're very difficult. Let me show you another picture. On the Mother's Day sermon, I talked a little bit about Pharaoh's daughter, an improbable mother. I would propose to you that there are those improbable fathers. And they are the ones that God calls to seek out other individuals to be that coach and that mentor when that's not available. And we have this beautiful picture of this happening with Elijah and Elisha. Elijah was one of the prophets of God. He was a tremendous prophet of God. He was revered by the nation of, of Israel, not during his time, uh, that's usually how it works. Um, but much after that, and so there has to be a replacement. 
And so God speaks to Elijah and he tells him, I want you to go to Elisha and I want you to lay your mantle on him. And he walks up to him and Elisha would have known who Elijah was, but there's no indication they had a prior relationship. He walks up to him, he takes uh, kind of what would be a cloak and he takes his cloak and in an act of symbolism, he lays it across Elisha's shoulder there in a field or, or a barn area, an agricultural area. And it was a symbol of saying, come, be with me. You're next in line. I've chosen you. You have been chosen by God. And Elisha drops what he's doing, and he begins to become mentored by Elisha. Let's look real quickly how that relationship transitions from Elijah to Elisha. And as we think about this idea, it is a promising picture of a father. So today, if you are one of those man or woman that you say, I didn't have that perfect picture. I can more relate to the pessimistic picture. Let me encourage you that you have every opportunity to go out and seek, find the person that can fill that role for you. Amen? So let's see how that works. Because this is the idea of not what's happening in the midst, not what's happening at the beginning. It's how you finish. It's how you finish. And there's this beautiful picture between Elijah and Elisha as to the relationship and what happened and how it was developed and, and, and what transpired so that there's, there's this understanding, this seamless handing off that becomes a perfect picture. This is... what I hope is asked of me by my children. Let's turn to... 2 Kings chapter 5. Elijah has been told that the Lord is taking him. And so he's on this journey and there are priests wandering around. There's Elisha wandering around and they go through this process of Elijah saying, stay here. I'm going further. You can't come with me. And Elisha says, no way. You're not going alone. I will go with you. I will honor you. I want to be there when this moment happens. Three times this happens where Elijah tries to deter him, but because of the depth of relationship, because Elisha so admires and wants to honor his coach, his pseudo-father, and you'll see why I say that in a moment, that he rebuffs every opportunity Elijah takes to shut him down ultimate devotion ultimate devotion second kings chapter 2 5 through 12 Sorry, I'm having problems with my glasses here. I think I've got it. 2 Kings 2, 5-12. Yes. So it says this. And we pick it up midstream. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. The beauty and the 
understanding and the depth of devotion that has been fostered in this relationship, right? So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. Stop. Can't you picture a father saying this? What a beautiful thing. We talk about my passing a lot in my house. Oh, mostly me. And I just keep telling the kids, guys, there's nothing. You can fight over the guitars. That's pretty much it. All right? I've got a couple posters. All right? Whatever you need to do. But there's a blessing that fits here within the context, right? You think back to Jacob. You think back to Isaac. You think about being on the deathbed. Hebrew tradition and, and culture was about receiving a blessing, but that was this familial it was fathers to sons, and this is what's happening. And yet, they're not father and son, and yet this is going outside those boundaries to act almost as father and son. And so Elijah turns to him and says, what shall I give to you? Ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elisha said, here it is. Here it is. Make me successful. Give me the Jezreel Valley. Could you just let all those priests down there know way ahead of time that I'm the guy, right? I'm the guy. Doesn't say any of that. He goes for broke. Not only does he ask for it all, he asks for more. He says, please let there be a double portion of your Spirit on me. And then what happens? Elijah says, you have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me, again, devotion, right? If you're paying attention as I am being taken up from you, it shall be so for you. There it is. There's a gift. It's granted to you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, what? My father, my father. You see, church family, you have fathers in your life that may have no blood relation to you whatsoever. You may have blood relational fathers that are in your life or out of your life that was a pessimistic picture. This story paints the picture of hope. That you can have that relationship that may, may not be determined by blood, but because look at what Elisha asked for. A double portion of his material wealth? No, of his spirit. This is the picture of an honorable father. That your children or others would come to you and say, I want a double portion of who you are. 
is the ultimate Father's Day gift. In closing this morning, I want to share this picture. You know, you have those moments in life that are just the coolest things ever, right? I can do this because this family's not here. They sit over here. They're really going to be upset they weren't here today. I love going down to Toto Santos Square. I don't know what's wrong with me, but I just love it. I love a town square. I never grew up with one, and so my Friday ritual is to go down there. I may not have anything to do, but I kind of get like in this routine of always going to Pete's, and it's really expensive, and so I got to kind of break out of my routine sometimes. So I went to that hot dog place on the opposite corner. Wow. <laughs> yeah, where were you before I made that decision? So I go there, and they've got this little patio area, and so I'm sitting out there, and I fire up my laptop, and I get my book, and I start reading my book, and, and there's another guy off to my right, but I just didn't, I, I wasn't focused on it because I was reading my book. He came in after I sat down, and I'm kind of sitting there with my corn dog and, uh, and my drink and, um, and letting it cool down. You know, there's a proper temperature to eat a corn dog at. We weren't there yet, and uh, so I'm reading my book, and um, you know, there's something going on over here to my right, and then all of a sudden I hear this deep thunderous voice of Fernando Garcia. And there's this little cheeky, as they call her, walking in front of my table. And I lost sight of her because she's so small. She, was, she fit underneath my table. And she walks by and she's holding the bag and I can hear Fernando's voice saying, sir, sir, this is happening. Like, I'm right here and this Chuck and Pam are Fernando and, and cheeky. And somehow they never saw me. I'm, I'm like behind this book, right? I am the pastor who gets to be the fly on the wall with his people. And he walks up and he says to this homeless man, sir, I'm trying to teach my daughter about loving people. And she has a gift for you if you would like something. Would you be interested? And the man looked up and saw little, little Trinity. And he said, well, sure. And Trin if you know Trinity, she just walked up and gave him the biggest hug and then handed this to her. And I'm sitting there just watching this happen within two feet of my table. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me, Jesus. This is, I want a double portion. Not of the corn dog, but of what, of, what, uh, of what Fernando was displaying. And as they're walking out, finally Fernando sees me. He's like, PJ. And I'm like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Illustration time, buddy. This is going down on Father's Day. I've been waiting for six weeks to tell this story. But that picture says it all. That is an honorable father. So everything I just preached just went right out of your head. And you're going to hold on to that picture. And that's okay. That's okay. In closing this morning, I'm going to have the worship band come on up. And we're going to close with a song. Think about this. Today, strive for what we find most appealing, right? But then not living with what is most convenient. If we live with what is most convenient, we lose track of what it means to be honorable. Fathers, be an honorable target. Have the honor of having your children or others say, I want a double portion of your spirit.
Let's stand together and close out the day with just a beautiful, beautiful picture of Jesus.